You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. Systems change is a multiplayer game. Shapeshifting is difficult. That's because when it comes to sustainability, we are actually talking about changing a vastly complex system, encompassing economics, social, cultural and even ethical elements. As a result, it takes a complex mix of different players to bring about lasting change. Allow me to illustrate with the example of climate change. If Shakespeare was right that all the world is a stage, then consider this cast of characters. Svante Arrhenius, Al Gore, Franny Armstrong, Inez Fung, Mercedes Bustamante and Colin Beaven. Now imagine the stage is set with a few props. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, the EU Emissions Trading Scheme and the Paris Climate Agreement. Finally, weave in some plot twists, such as Hurricane Katrina, Chinese solar subsidies and Fukushima. We now have all the ingredients for an intriguing play about climate change, or to be more precise, a story about a whole system's change and how it happens. Let's begin with the individuals. Each represents a different type of person that is needed for societal change to be effective. Svante Arrhenius, the Swedish scientist who discovered the greenhouse effect in 1896 and linked it to fossil fuels, is typical of what we might call a genius heretic, someone who changes our paradigm or the way that we see the world. Al Gore, former US vice president and star of An Inconvenient Truth, might be regarded as an iconic leader, someone who uses charisma to communicate ideas and persuade us to change. Franny Armstrong, on the other hand, with her documentaries like McLeibel and The Age of Stupid, as well as her 1010 climate campaign, is more like a freedom fighter. So here we have three cast members and three different kinds of change agency paradigmatic, charismatic and activist. Each individual is fairly high profile and offers the possibility of bringing about relatively rapid transformation using ideas, persuasion and action. So how are the next three individuals different? Ines Fung is a professor of atmospheric science at the University of California, Berkeley, who has been working on climate change ever since she won the MIT Rosby Award for Outstanding Thesis in the year of 1971. She is what we could call a systematic scientist, patiently and persistently gathering evidence on how things fit together. Mercedes Bustamante is a director in the Ministry of Science, Technology and Innovation in Brazil and coordinator lead author of the fifth IPCC assessment report on mitigation. Her work is all about finding leverage points to change behavior in society and especially in agriculture and forestry so that we can prevent dangerous climate change. Colin Beaven is neither scientist nor politician. However, he does do experiments. He is most well known for No Impact Man, a documentary account of his attempt to live in New York City for one year with as close to zero environmental impact as possible. 
Again, we have three individuals, all advocating different pathways to change, what I call Cartesian, Newtonian, and Gandhian strategies. These are typically not high-profile people, and the process of change is much slower, but they form essential spokes in the wheel of systems change. Now what of our props and plots? The IPCC also represents a relatively gradual change strategy, but operates at a collective level using the principle of consensus. The EU emissions trading scheme uses a different mechanism, creating price signals as incentives for behaviour change. Meanwhile, the Paris Climate Agreement may still turn out to be the tipping point when all the world's major nations, including developed, emerging and developing countries, finally agree that deep cuts in global emissions are needed to avoid catastrophic climate change. These three types of change, consensual, incentivized and pivotal, are slow societal processes that help to build the momentum towards more dramatic change. Our final trio represents revolutionary change with catastrophic events like Hurricane Katrina, combining with rapid growth trends like the way massive Chinese government subsidies have caused solar panel costs to plummet since 2010. We also have butterfly effects, things we could not have predicted, such as Germany's policy response to the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster, putting it on a fast track to renewable energy. We can call these three types of change cataclysmic, exponential and chaotic. So, taken together, what does it mean? By recognizing the different types of leaders needed and the dynamics on the wheel of systems change, we start to see how shifts occur in society. At any one time, there needs to be activity in all four change triptychs. Let's call them invention, intention, evolution and revolution, which is what appears to be happening already with climate change. We know the story of a transition to a low-carbon future is far from at an end. If it were a three-act play, we're undoubtedly still in Act 1. Yet, it is one of those issues that have caused the most disruptive change to society in recent decades, and, as the IPCC assessment reports confirm, it will probably get worse before it gets better. The bottom line is that we are gambling with our climate future but we can still spread our bets. If we want real transformation in society by choosing a plus two degree rather than a plus six degree world, our best chance is to keep spinning the wheel of systems change. Big beliefs, blue skies, burning platforms and baby steps. So far, I've been banging on about changing the world. In other words, big systems change. But let's be honest, for most of us, that is a bit like shooting for the stars. In practice, the moon we're most likely to hit is changing our own organizations. Easy to say, hard to do. If there is one reason why organizational change fails, it's because we underestimate resistance to change. As Hunter Lovins once told me, only a baby with a wet diaper wants changing, and even then it cries through the process. Resistance to change comes from inertia, and inertia happens because, as Bob Doppelt, author from Me to We, puts it, change is like an iceberg. 
It is futile to keep pushing against what is above the surface, the things that we can see and control directly, such as rules, policies and procedures. Shifting the volume and weight of what lies below the surface, our habits, attitudes, beliefs and values, is the real secret to making change happen. Unfortunately, this requires the intrinsic drivers of human behavior to be rewired, which is what makes it so much more difficult. And yet, when we succeed, the scale and speed of change can be profound. Turning carpet company interface into the first truly restorative business on the planet began with founder Ray Anderson's spear-in-the-chest revelation. Changing his worldview was the first step to changing his organization. Change was possible because Anderson was able to combine decades of experience as an industry leader with a fire in the belly that came from his conversion to a new belief system. And as with Steve Jobs, if a leader has true conviction, he or she can create a reality distortion field in which others get swept up in the cause. Sadly, these missionary-type leaders with their big beliefs are about as common as Greenpeace activists championing the cause of oil companies. Most organizations have to rely on three other strategies to overcome inertia – burning platforms, blue skies and baby steps. Let's start with baby steps because this is usually the easiest strategy. Let's start with baby steps because this is usually the easiest strategy. Most organizations do not need much persuasion to commission a pilot facility or construct a demonstration project or develop a showcase product, especially with the giddy prospect of good PR spin. In fact, sustainability reports are practically burping with all the low-hanging fruit that these companies have gorged themselves on. The reason these baby steps for sustainability have never become giant leaps for society is because there is no real incentive to stride out. For that, we need the other two strategies, starting with blue skies. The fact is, as humans, we are always chasing the blue. We first have to be convinced that where we are going is sunnier. Yet for most people in most parts of the world, as crazy as it seems, we don't believe that a sustainable future is necessarily a better future. Veteran environmentalist John Veteran environmentalist John Elkington Veteran environmentalist Jonathan Porritt is hoping he can still change our minds. His book, The World We Made, sketches a vision of what he calls a genuinely sustainable world in 2050 and why it is so much better than today. It's a change management tactic that we could all learn from, the kind of thinking that inspired Elon Musk to invent Tesla Motors. Until then, nobody believed that electric cars could be not only green, but fast and cool as well. A blue skies strategy means being willing to take a risk as a leader and to set big, hairy, audacious goals. Whether it's Unilever's plan to double in size while reducing its environmental footprint and helping a billion people out of poverty, or Google's ambition to make all the world's knowledge free and accessible, blue sky leaders know that we are only inspired by reaching for an impossible dream. That's why we desperately need more Apollo-like sustainability missions that the public can get genuinely excited about. 
The combination of big beliefs, baby steps and blue sky strategies will almost certainly get us moving forward. But if we want a pace to match the urgency of our global challenges, organizations need a burning platform. Someone else's burning platform, HIV AIDS in South Africa, Amazon destruction in Brazil or corruption in Russia, just won't do the trick. Impacts that are far away or in the future are like smoldering fires in the distance, noteworthy but not action-worthy. People need to feel the heat directly, personally, here and now. For organizations and leaders, that means lighting a few fires. So if you're trying to make change happen in your organization, use burning platforms to create the urgency for change, blue skies to create the reasons to change, baby steps to create the momentum for change, and big beliefs to sustain the energy for change. Finding your inner sustainability superhero. Unlocking change, however, is not only about what you do, but also who you are, or more specifically, whether you are tapped into your own power. Have you ever wondered why we do it? The sustainability hokey-cokey, I mean. Most of us, whether we are sustainability professionals, academics, consultants, students, activists, or wannabes, could have pursued different career paths. For my sins having studied marketing, I could have become a spin doctor or an ad man. So what makes us choose sustainability instead? My research on the subject, which is written up in more detail in my book, Making a Difference, shows that there are deep psychological, even existential reasons why we do sustainability. And you may be surprised to know that it is not because we want to save the world, or because we care about people, or even because we want to make a difference, at least not directly. The real reason is because it gives us personal satisfaction, not of the sugar rush or warm cuddly variety, but of the purpose-inspired life-satisfaction kind. If we dig a bit deeper, we find that six motivational forces drive our work in sustainability. First, it allows us to feel that our work is aligned to our personal values, whether these are faith-based or humanistic. Second, we find the work stimulating. Sustainability is a bit like chess. It is complex, dynamic and challenging, like an ultimate earth puzzle that needs solving. Most sustainability enthusiasts share these two drivers. The other four drivers tend to be distributed across the sustainability tribe. Some find meaning in giving specialist input, while others prefer empowering people. Some are motivated to come up with effective strategies, while others feel more satisfied if they are making a contribution to society. These drivers translate into a set of sustainability leader archetypes. Think of them as our very own Fantastic Four, namely experts, facilitators, catalysts and activists. Each represents a different kind of sustainability change agent. Sustainability experts tend to be focused on the details of a particular issue with a deep knowledge and understanding, often of a technical or a scientific nature. They like working on projects, designing systems and being consulted for their expertise. Their satisfaction comes from continuous learning and self-development. 
They're most frustrated by the failure of others to be persuaded by the compelling evidence or to implement systems as they were designed. Sustainability facilitators are most concerned with using their knowledge to empower others to act, using their strong people skills to make change happen. They like working with teams, delivering training and giving coaching. Their satisfaction is in seeing changes in people's understanding, work and careers. They become frustrated when individuals let the team down or when those in power do not allow enthusiastic groups to act. Sustainability catalysts enjoy the challenge of shifting an organization to a new direction, using their political skills of persuasion to change strategies. They like working with leadership teams and articulating the business case for sustainability. They're often pragmatic visionaries and are frustrated when top management fails to see, or more importantly, to act on the opportunities and risks facing the organization. Sustainability activists are typically passionate about macro-level issues and their impacts on society or the planet as a whole, using their strong feelings about justice to motivate their actions. Their satisfaction comes from challenging the status quo, questioning those in power and articulating an idealistic vision of a better future. They tend to be great networkers and are mainly frustrated by the apathy of others in the face of urgent crises. As you reflect on what type of sustainability superhero you may be, I expect all four will resonate to a greater or lesser extent. This is because we are composite beings when it comes to making sustainability change happen. But we do gravitate more strongly to one archetype based on what gives us the deepest personal satisfaction. And there are good reasons why you should know which cape and tights fit you best. Aligning with your inner superhero means embracing a mode of action in which you are most professionally effective and purpose-inspired. It allows you to check that your formal role or the direction of your career is consistent with your archetype. The mask must fit the cape and tights. And it encourages you to consciously put together teams with a balance of experts, facilitators, catalysts and activists. The ideal earth crime fighting force. So it is not enough that all change begins with individual leaders. For change to be sustained and transformational, for sustainability to be a force for good in the world and to save the earth from humans, we need the joint efforts of the Fantastic Four, each with their particular superpowers, knowledge for the experts, collaboration for the facilitators, imagination for the catalysts and compassion for the activists.